Welcome back to Analyzing Acme, a special series part of the Rebuildable podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and today's topic is one I'm really looking forward to because it invokes two different reactions from Bulls fans. And the topic we're looking at today is a dichotomy in the Arturis Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley era. The frenzy of activity in 2021 at the trade deadline and in the offseason, and then the offseason of 2022 where continuity reigned supreme. So, of course, in 2021 at the trade deadline, the Bulls acquire Nikola Vucevic. And then in the offseason, they sign and trade for Lonzo Ball. They sign and trade for DeMar DeRozan. They sign Alex Caruso. And things were trending upward for the Chicago Bulls. After Lonzo Ball's injury, they plateau. But it seems like little additions could maybe help get this roster going in the right direction, or maybe some slight pivoting could get the Bulls pointed in the right direction. But instead, Arturis Karnaschobas and Mark Eversley that following summer decide that they're going to stick with the core they got, and they sign really just Andre Drummond and Goran Dragic to minimum deals. And it didn't really shake out the way I think they intended it to. The Bulls regressed. They had a sub-500 year and were a playing team of course, in 2023. So it kind of backfired for them and it still continues to backfire. The other move that you can point out too was extending Zach Levine, which I know invokes a lot of interesting opinions nowadays. And I definitely want to get into that a little bit in this episode too, but it'll be interesting. I think the two guests we have on, one is somebody that I know has interesting opinions on the roster construction because spoiler, when he was the co-host of this show, we used to talk about it quite a bit. So I think you know who is one of the guests here. And the other guest who is coming on for the first time on the Rebuildable podcast uh, was one time the head of the Arturis Karnaschovas fan club because of some of the moves he made. So there's another spoiler alert for you. Instead of teasing all this, let me bring both these guys on right now so we can get to talking about this topic. So making his debut on the Rebuildable podcast... I think very fitting person to have on here. He was the uh, what first official member or charter member of the Arturis Karnaschovas fan club. We have Ross joining us. Ross, how's it going? It's good, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the the wonderful intro. Um, things have changed a little bit since then, but yeah, we're still here. We're still going strong. So you're you're going by what now, like Shy Sports Ross? Is that the... Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to, you know, and even prior to me feeling a little bit different about Arturis, just wanted to kind of bring it back to my my own identity. So yeah, Shy Sports Ross. Yes. Although it was a pretty badass like image that you had when you had the Arturis Karnaschovas fan club uh, true. account. Uh, and then also joining us, a longtime contributor on the Rebuildable Podcast, former co-host, frequent guest. Glad to have him back on. It's been a while. Drew Stevens from the Bigs. Drew, how's it going? It's going pretty good, man. It's going pretty good. It's, it's, it's good to see you and be in this space with you again. Well, glad to have you back on, and I'm sure we'll we'll have you on for a few more episodes at some point this season, too. But um, here we are, four years into the Acme era. We're already doing a retrospective, right? You know, it's... That's how crazy it's been, and it's been a roller coaster ride. And this topic is basically like 
the definition of a roller coaster, right? Insane high and then an insane drop uh, with the flurry of moves made in 2021. And then just a, a change in philosophy in 2022. So I want to first kick it off and I'll start with you, Ross, and then we'll go to Drew. When the Bulls flipped from a youth movement to adding veterans, how surprised were you by that decision? Yeah, you know, it was surprising. And if we're going back to like 2020, 2021, um, talking specifically in that time period, it was surprising because they doubled down on picking Zach Levine as that that leader in the clubhouse, right? They retained him as the guy from the previous regime and they wanted to build around him. They wanted to add some veterans around him. It was no longer about, you know, rebuilding into a, a, a young squad. It was about building pieces around Zach. And I think at the time I was excited about that because I'm, you know, I've always been a Zach believer, but in the years since, I think that maybe we've seen um, that maybe it wasn't the right move, <laughs> but I will say at the time, I definitely supported where they were, where the mindset was, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Ross. I think a lot of us Bulls fans and observers alike, were all kind of in the same boat. It was something fresh. It, it gave us kind of a new hope. It was, for some of us, um, a little bit of a, a, a relief, I think, to see them kind of act in the manner that it did, given what we've seen prior to them coming aboard, Acme, that is. Um, there was a little bit of consternation about Wendell Carter Jr. going out. And of course, to this day, the, the first round picks that they gave up in the big move to land Vucevic specifically, um, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into that for sure. But it, it just felt it felt very, very new, very fresh. And at that point in time, I think it gave us a lot to look forward to and, and a renewed hope of where this franchise was franchise was headed. Well, perfect timing, because my next question is going to be about Vooch, um, because that, that kind of signaled like the first major move. It was the first big domino that kind of caused this frenzy of other activity that happened that year. So I want to go back to that that trade deadline in March of 2023. And I'll start with you, Drew, and then we'll go to uh, Ross. When that move was made, what did you initially think would happen that coming off season? Were you anticipating anything coming off the heels of that massive trade? I was anticipating more moves, more similar moves to kind of supplement what they had just done in getting Nikola Vucevic to partner with Zach Levine. I think we had begun to hear rumors about them being interested in Lonzo Ball. But at that point in time, I still don't think it was kind of like a, a sure thing. And Alex Caruso and DeMar DeRozan definitely weren't, I don't think, in anybody's kind of mind state in terms of guys that Acme was going to go out and, and try to acquire. Um, so that's kind of where I was with it. I don't think you make a move to get Nikola Vucevic and then kind of sit on your hands and just – go with what you've got with Vooch and Zach and and Kobe and, and and Pat. So I think they had to continue to make moves to to push things in the direction that they wanted to go. Yeah, Drew, you, you made a great point. Like at the time we 
we were excited. We were definitely excited about the Vucevic trade. At least a lot of people were. Um, and maybe the new direction that the team was headed in. But I don't think any of us were expecting them to land all three of Lonzo, DeMar, and Caruso in the same offseason. Like, that was a lot. Um, so I think we were definitely of the mindset that they should be adding and they should be buying. Um, but the way that they went about it was, you know, it's like they dropped a bomb. It was like the, the Bulls are back, right? That's how it felt. And, you know, maybe the splashiness of it, maybe the flashiness um, maybe we were a little blinded by that at the time. Um, but, you know, I do think that they do still deserve some of that credit for for really coming in and making such a big splash, as we're going to keep talking about in our retrospective here. It's more what they didn't do after that, right? Well, I was going to say, Drew and I had plenty of episodes getting into what they, what they should have done after yeah. that, for sure. And I, I definitely want to <laughs> talk more about that um, a little bit. But let me start with you, Ross, and then, then we'll go to Drew on this one. I guess going into that summer, what were the type of moves that you were anticipating? Was there maybe some different types of names on your radar or types of players that you thought the Bulls would add, given that they still had Zach, still had Kobe, mm-hmm. uh, drafted Io Dusumu, and then, of course, you know, had Nikola Vucevic. Did you think of maybe a different profile that was maybe joining the team? Yeah, and you know, that's... Matt, such a question because back then when we were talking about, you know, like getting Lonzo, it was in the discussion of like, okay, if we don't get Lonzo, who are the other point guards that we could add to the team? So uh, back then, a lot of us were talking, you know, mostly about guards Um, and the kind of thought process for, you know, like Patrick Williams at the time was, okay, he's going to grow into that, you know, three, four, um, you know, that kind of switchable defensive minded player. And that was before, you know, DeMar was even on our radar, really. Um, so I think back then, you know, the the mindset was a little bit different. It was more about looking for that next point guard to, to really take the helm that we hadn't had for a while. Um, and I think at the time, Kobe was more of like a two guard. We were looking at him as more of like a combo or even more of just a pure shooting guard. Um, so things, our perspective on these players was definitely different back then. And I think going into that free agency, it was more of like, who is going to be the point guard of the future? And then, you know, the conversation completely opened up when we got Lonzo. Yeah, I mean, you hit the the nail on the head, you know, the Bulls trying to find that kind of connecting piece to to help Zach and to help Vooch um, in their two-man game or just be able to run the offense with some semblance of, of competency. Um, you know, we were still kind of thinking that they would give Pat some runway to be able to develop and become the player that they drafted him to be. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get the alerts that <laughs> they've made moves to acquire Alex Caruso and DeMar DeRozan. I think that was the most excited I think I've seen Bulls fans since what the early, early D Rose runs maybe, or maybe perhaps when the Bulls got up 2-0 against uh, the Celtics in the first round of the, the playoffs with the three alphas, maybe, maybe that. Um, but since then, it's just, well, we're not going to talk about what's happened, what's transpired too much <laughs> to this date, but just, just suffice it to say that um, a lot of people were happy. There were still some skeptics, but a lot of happy Bulls fans Yes, and actually the first episode after all those major acquisitions was the debut of Drew Stevens as a guest on the Rebuildable Podcast, recapping all of those great moves. And I think we talked about how how exciting it was. 
you know, we have the benefit of hindsight now. So I, I do want to ask this question. And both players, I think, have been very impactful in different ways. But I'm curious who you think's had more of an impact. And we'll start with you, uh, Drew, on this one. Is it DeMar DeRozan or Alex Caruso that you think's had the bigger impact on the roster? Man, that's um, that's a hell of a question because I feel like what DeMar brings to the offense, Alex does to the defense and vice versa. Like, I, But I guess I would have to – I still would have to say DeMar, he had – two outstanding seasons for the Bulls was all NBA in the first season um, and an all-star was an all-star in the second season. We've seen him kind of fall off a little bit this season to what we've seen him do here, but the way that he scored the basketball, the way that he can facilitate the way that he had been able to score just in clutch moments, especially that first season, that was just wild, you know, him getting the nickname King of the Fourth and the record he broke from Will Chamberlain. It was it was it just incredible season that first year and it carried into that second season. And you're making me make a decision I don't want to make, but I would probably say DeMar DeRozan because we know the cult hero that Alex Caruso is as well. But I think just from the on-court performance and him being able to stay healthy, that's a big part of it too although both of those guys have done really well in the locker room and have garnered the kind of respect that you would expect two veterans of their ilk to be able to garner. But um, I think I would probably give the edge to DeMar if you're forcing me to make a choice. Yeah, so being forced to make a choice on this one. um, I'll I'll echo what you said, Drew, like the health of DeMar DeRozan. Obviously the pro that he is, the guy that we know he is um, coming into Chicago, he's – been yeah like nothing but a pro um and you you really can't say more for you know how much that has uh helped in the locker room but to give caruso a little bit of uh let's let's make the case for caruso a little bit because i think it's important to remember how much of a, a sharp decline this team takes when he's not in the lineup um it's significant and you see it on both ends it's not just defensively um, you see it offensive, offensively too, because Caruso kind of calms the guys down. He really is that like coach on the court. Um, he's calling out the plays. He's kind of kidding guys in the right set. So Caruso, I think, if if you're gonna make me pick the most impactful player for the team, um, I'm gonna say it's Alex Caruso because he truly is the the core. You know, if if you want to talk about like what the core is of the future. Um, I think right now, today, you know, in December of 2023, Alex Caruso represents the the core of the Chicago Bulls. And when he's not there, you you notice his his absence. Demar, he's missed some games, and in those games, we have other scorers who have been able to take up that mantle and you know score 25, 30 points on that night. I just think that with a guy like Caruso there causing havoc for defenses and also just kind of being that locker room leader. Um, yeah, I mean, what more impact could you make? So I want to get to some discussion on Lonzo Ball, but I'm going to save it for later. I want us to kind of take another dive into the the continuity cycle that we've ended up in and then kind of revisit Lonzo. So let's get into, I think, the first sign of change in philosophy. And I think it happens around the 2022 trade deadline. The Bulls at that point, they're 
riding high. They're near the top or at the top of the Eastern Conference. But we start to see some injuries pop up, one of them being Lonzo Ball. Um, And I'm trying to remember if that actually occurred after the deadline. But I think there were still a lot of rumblings within the fan base. I he he got injured before the deadline, but yeah. at the time we didn't know how long the the return time ta- timeline was. It was so strange too because more people were concerned about Zach's injury in that game because that was against the Warriors, correct? Yes. And, and that was the I think the bizarre part was it was sort of like oh well, Lonzo sprained his knee and like he'll he'll be back and it was sort of like we all brushed it off. Right. Um, but I think there was still like I know rumblings within the fan base for sure that there could maybe still be some tweaks made to the roster to, to really put the the foot on the pedal and, and just go for this. But they kind of froze. There was no moves made at the deadline. The only major move was signing Tristan Thompson once he cleared waivers and was a buyout. And I'll, I'll start with you, Ross, and then we'll go to Drew. Why do you think they froze uh, from the 2022 trade deadline and, and onward? Why did that happen, in your opinion? You kind of said it yourself about that being kind of a, a point of change in philosophy. And I really do think it does kind of come back to that Lonzo injury. Um, you know, I remember at the deadline, we were talking about one of the buyout players being like Paul Millsap. And like you could speak about how that ended up working out, you know, for whichever team he ended up playing for. I don't even remember. But it, like the the philosophy that we thought they had was let's be aggressive because we can win now. This is a window. We have these guys on the team. Um, you know, maybe we just need a couple more pieces on the margins to push us over the edge. So at the time, that's where my mind was at, was like, okay, let's go get a Paul Millsap type of player. Like, what are we missing in in the front court? Let's go get that and, you know, get that short up. Um, But I think when Lonzo went out, they just, like you said, they froze, you know, they, they seemed like they were scared to, to make any kind of move, almost like you're placing that house of cards together. Like you move one little piece and they were afraid the whole thing would come falling apart. Um, and in their, you know, in that hubris of, of feeling that continuity, as we've talked about, uh, that could help, it ended up being the detriment. So it didn't work out the way that they thought that it would. But I think their mindset was we might get Lonzo back. Yeah, I agree. I think at that time, I don't know if anybody could have known the extent and the length of time that Lonzo Ball was going to have to miss because of that injury. And to that point, before that game against the Warriors, the Bulls were 27 and 13. So, I mean, Acme was well within their right to kind of say, we put this together. It was working almost seamlessly let's give this some some time and kind of let this this bake a little bit before we start moving pieces around and and trying to pivot off of our vision so quickly. And then this is when it gets interesting because summer of 2022, um, I'm going to kick this off with, with you, Drew, but I could just play recordings of old podcasts that we did from that summer because <laughs> I think I know where you're going to go with this. Like, I think you and I were sitting there, we were anticipating some interesting movement happening that summer that, you know, could there be pieces that get traded? Could there be some crosses into the luxury tax, making some signings? And again, it was continuity, right? We had Andre Drummond, Goran Dragic, I think were the two big moves on veteran minimum deals. But Drew, kind of going back in time, what 
what should they have done in the summer of, of 2022 to improve the roster? If, if you were in their shoes, what should they have done? Well, I mean, hindsight is always 2020, right? Um, you gotta, That's why we're you know, doing this, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to remember that I'm looking at it through that lens. But and I'm trying to remember exactly where Lonzo was in his injury, uh, not designation, but just, I guess, um, prognosis and and such. But I still think, of course, they were probably of the mind that at some point that season he was going to come back. And I think they took – the routes that they took to to try to improve the team. Obviously, you get a, a veteran point guard and going drag drag in there. Um, you bring in, you know, one of the best backup bigs in the league. But even within those two moves, it's still like, how much is this gonna move this needle for this team? Um, also, I think the season that Ayo Desumu had probably emboldened them a little bit more to hang in with the the team that they had, and and maybe they felt they were a little overconfident maybe in 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 what Io was doing in his freshman season and then maybe not looking at man the league might catch up to him in terms of what he was doing offensively and defensively so it was it's, it wasn't an easy spot for those for those guys to be in I I as as long as as well as other Bulls fans and reservers I'm sure wish they would have pivoted um to some degree um, depending on the knowledge that they had of Lonzo Ball's injury. But, um, again, just not looking far enough ahead, I think. And that's kind of been there to their detriment to this point that we've seen from this front office is, is not having the foresight to kind of see a step, a two, three steps ahead of kind of where they are. Yeah, Drew, I feel the exact same way. What you just said kind of encapsulates my entire feelings about this is that they just don't have that foresight. They're not looking far enough into the future. And going back to that that offseason and that free agency period, honestly, what frustrated me more was what they didn't do in the draft. Um, because I felt like they had opportunities in that draft to trade down, trade back. There were a ton of good players, good to mildly great even, um, players that were at the back half of that draft and you know I'm not throwing anyone under the bus but Dalen Terry has not really panned out into the player um, that some of those other guys have panned out into being and that shows me you know just kind of not only that lack of foresight um, but again that lack of aggression you know like if there is a guy that you feel strongly about either trade up to get him and if not then trade back and, and get some more picks because that was the biggest thing that we didn't have over the course of the you know the the Vooch trade years the Lonzo trade years and now we're still owing a pick to the Spurs for DeMar and it's like at some point you got to recoup some of those picks so free agency was disappointing that season but I think I was more disappointed by what they um, what they could have done in that draft and didn't end up doing. And it speaks to what Drew said about that lack of of long-term vision. Ross, I'm glad you said that. That's an excellent point. And if there's another issue that we've seen with this front office, in addition to them not having a foresight, it's kind of this mixed bag of what it is they're trying to do. When you don't have as many picks stocked up in your in your cupboard you have to make sure that you hit on it and you have to make sure that you're getting a player that fits the direction that you want this team to go in if you're all about trying to win and secure the best playoff spot that you can get 
kind of strange as you would look to draft somebody like Dale and Terry, who's a pretty raw product, as opposed to getting somebody that's maybe in a better position to contribute right away, a Christian Brown, or Walker Kessler, that mm. you know that we hear on a, on an almost constant basis now after the fact. Um, but again, the foresight and then just kind of the the mixed bag of what it is they're trying to accomplish with this roster. Two biggest drawbacks or hits on this front office. I think that's well said by both of you. And it, it's something I know Drew and I definitely talked about too. You look back at like that draft in, in 2022. I mean, given where the direction you were in, like adding a Walker Kessler would have been a major move for a team like the Bulls, especially heading into then the summer of 2023 when you have to make a decision on Nikola Vucevic. And I know it was sort of, you were in a proposition because you held his bird rights where $20 million a season roughly is not not terrible and you can get away with doing that, but why? You don't need to. If you have you know the next cornerstone at center ready to go. So uh, it, it is interesting, kind of like this lack of foresight, I think tends to be a common thread in, in all these episodes I've been doing on looking at Acme's tenure. I want to go to a decision that I didn't include when talking about the continuity offseason. I mentioned the, the vet minimum signings. But there was also, of course, the extension of Zach Levine. And now this is becoming a big storyline, especially with everything going on right now as we sit here in uh, you know, mid-late December talking about this. But looking back on that extension, and I'll start with, with you, Ross, then I'm going to go to uh, Drew. What do you, What would you have done? If you were in Acme shoes, because I think it's easy to say now, you know, that it, it maybe wasn't the, the best move, I guess. But I think a lot of people were OK with an extension at the time. What would you have done if you were in Acme shoes with the Zach Levine contract situation? Yeah, you know, I think at the time I was in the boat of you re-sign Zach. You know, this is the guy that you've put all the pieces around. You made these trades for you sign these other guys for. Um, the, that was the prudent move was re-signing Zach at the time. Um, and you know, I, it's something that's important that I think that like we, we sometimes lose sight of when we're talking about the moves that they didn't make versus what they did make. But the idea was that Zach was our star player, that we were building around Zach as the guy for the future. So obviously you re-sign the guy that you did all of this for, otherwise what was all of this for? Now, knowing what we know today, um, sure, I would have made a different decision, but I think that at the time it felt like the the move because we still were at least most of the fan base. I don't want to speak for everyone, um, but a lot of us were still of the opinion that Zach was the franchise player. Agreed. Agreed. I was of that same mind. I thought that Zach deserved to get a max contract. And I know in sports, you don't necessarily always get what you deserve and what you deserve is not necessarily what a team is, 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 you know, supposed to give you per se, but Zach played through a bunch of injuries. He was hell bent on being able to contribute to the best of his ability for the, his teammates, for the bulls. Of course, that season just kind of went into the tank with the injuries that he and Lonzo ball suffered in that warriors game. They went out in five games against the Bucks. Zach, didn't even play in that fifth game because um, he landed back in health and, and safety protocols. But I still thought that 
at that point, it's what you you either sign them or let them walk. Like to me, that wasn't an option. You know, you you had to sign that guy, and from that point, you had to continue to try to build a good enough product around him. So it wasn't just about signing him to that max deal. You needed to also do the things to make sure that this ship keeps going straight and doesn't get stuck or move backwards. So we all kind of know how this played out last season in the 2023 season, that things got off to a very rocky start. And by the time we got to the trade deadline, I think there was sort of a this buildup in Bulls Nation that something's got to give. Like, is this the time, given the, the type of draft that is ahead, that the Bulls should hit a, a soft reset and start making some moves at the deadline and find themselves in a better position to keep their pick in the lottery? They, of course, didn't do that. They stood pat and, you know, of course, made the uh, buyout move to get Patrick Beverly and they go 14 and nine and everybody's happy again and sucking at the proverbial teat and we're all happy. But looking back at that moment, I mean, there were rumblings about possibly netting some draft capital and young players from the Knicks for Zach Levine. There were rumors about, you know, hey, Alex Caruso could net you two first round picks. And I think I said to Drew, I will drive Alex Caruso to O'Hare Airport to catch a flight to that team. I love him, but two first round picks. I'm definitely doing that to restock the cupboard. What do you think they should have done? And I'll start with you drew and then we'll go to ross but what do you think they should have done at that deadline in 2023 i think at the time you and i obviously were speaking about this and i wanted them to try to find another spot for vooch or demar i was still riding with zach i felt like because of his game his three level scoring his efficiency his age that he was the one that you needed to hang on to um at least while you tried to shop DeMar and Vooch. That's where I was with it. Um, I think I was okay with them trying to move Caruso at the time as well. But again, they just don't, for whatever reason, they don't see things a step or two ahead of probably where, where they where they should. They kind of seem to just be stuck in the moment. And that's okay for a coach and for a player, but for a front office exec, you can't be focused in the here and now. You need to be looking ahead and you need to be looking at the players that you have in terms of are they more valuable to me or another team? And do I need to pivot away from this guy now as opposed to sitting on him and and, and risking his value going down? I hate to talk about human beings in this way, but it, you know what it is. So it, it just goes back to them allowing the value of their players to kind of plummet at their detriment and getting too caught up in the moment, the 14 and nine, the, oh, we played better against better competition this season, even though they didn't do as well against the weaker competition. Yeah, you know, this was actually something that I was talking with a, a few of my followers on Twitter the other day. Um, it, it it seems like they're always the last to know something, right? AKME is like, the rest of us have agreed on this this concept months ago, and AKME seem to be the last people in the world who come to the same conclusion that we all have already held. So th that kind of was what was happening at that trade deadline, it felt like. 
like why you know shopping zach was one thing i wasn't really on board with shopping zach at that point um and that was you know just kind of a personal preference i felt like you just resign the guy like don't put him in trade rumors immediately um demar you know i thought that at that time it was the the right time to look for a demar trade um you know he's got one year left on his contract there's plenty of teams out there that are looking for that last push at the end of the season um and then vooch you know i I know that you guys have feelings about Vooch. I think that Vooch is a good piece to, to keep around for the young players. So if the idea was, you know, that you're going to bring in some young players, some draft picks back for DeMar, Vooch is a good kind of player to keep around for that kind of a, that kind of next step. So that's where my mind was at at the time. But speaking again about like the lack of foresight and just kind of like freezing up, I just don't understand where that comes from um, and, and why they choose to to kind of sit on their hands until they're the last people in the world to to agree on what everyone else has already agreed. I do have a question that's going to touch on that a little bit later. Um, what could be the root cause? Um, so I mentioned that I wanted to ask about Lonzo a little later. And, and since we kind of talked about that flurry from 2021, we talked about the continuity shift. I think a lot of it's rooted in Lonzo Ball. His name came up quite a bit when we're talking about his injury status and and the uncertainty surrounding him until really the end of last season. We kind of knew, hey, he's he's going to be out rest of this year and next year. Um, so I'm going to ask you, Ross, and then we'll go to to Drew. How different do you think? the veteran core and this this type of roster works if Lonzo Ball's healthy. Do you think we're talking about a different team altogether? Or do you think it just kind of leads in the same direction and really is just like lipstick on a pig? That really is the million-dollar question, right? Like, if, if Lonzo had never gotten hurt, would they have kept playing the way that they were playing? Um, and I think if, if they had kept playing that way, um, you have to keep facilitating that team you know you had to keep facilitating the style that they were playing as opposed to you know pivoting to the the Andre Drummonds and the the Goran Dragic's of the world um so I think that the team would look better I don't know if they would be an actual finals contender I don't know if they would have found themselves in the same situation two years later three years later anyway um I think that if Lonzo was healthy like the injury never even happened or he never had any kind of, you know, long-term effects from it. Um, you know, then you could start to have that conversation about like him and Zach really being that dynamic duo um, and then feeling more comfortable about maybe trading DeMar um, or, you know, the guys like Patrick Williams and Kobe White, like really doubling down and re-signing those guys because they've actually grown into their own. Um, so, I mean, the answer is it would have made life easier and unfortunately life doesn't always go that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, the vibes would have been better. Again, to Ross's point, I don't think they would have been necessarily a finals contender, but I think they could very well threaten for a second-round appearance. You remember the amount of hugs we saw this team give each other those first 33, 35 games that they were able to spend with Lonzo Ball? Like, this team was just fun to watch. They looked like they had fun playing with each other. Zach was the happiest I think any Bulls fan has seen him since he's been in a Bulls uniform. 
And to Ross's point, had Lonzo stayed healthy, you have a dynamic backcourt and the perfect player next to Zach who kind of covers up his weaknesses defensively and kind of his on-ball, I guess we can call jitters here and there. Like it's just, it it, it was almost a a perfect symmetry between those two. It just would have been better, man. I think that's what just, we want a team that is competitive, that plays hard, that plays a fun brand of basketball. Like it would have been similar to what we've seen from this team this past nine games. Like just the ball's hopping, Guys are enjoying playing with each other. They're competing. And it's just a fun brand of basketball to watch. I don't like to ask yes or no questions, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and I'll start with you, Drew, and then go to you, Ross. So if, if you feel like expanding on it, please do. Because you guys kind of hinted, like, could this team have been slightly more competitive? Say they were a second round exit team. Michael Reinsdorf did have an interview saying that, you know, he would be willing to go in the luxury tax if this team was showing signs of being a championship contender. Do you think he actually puts his money where his mouth is and finally does it if this team was, let's say, hovering closer to 46 to 50 wins with Lonzo Ball or still a tight wad? (laughs) I'll probably lean toward the latter. I don't know if that's a good enough range for the the Ryan's doors to feel comfortable putting more money into this team at the expense of their own pockets. So that's kind of where I am with that. I think they would have had to have seen more like this. It, a second round team probably wouldn't do it for them. I don't think. Yeah. I don't, I don't think anything would actually get them to do it. I, you know, I, I know that they say that um, it's easy to say that when you know that your team won't actually win that many games. So I, I, I think that, Maybe if they were like pushing into the Eastern Conference Finals, like the pressure of the fan base would be so much that like they would not be able to ignore that. Um, but short of that, I just don't I don't see it happening. Like they would need like a surefire finals team where it's like they're missing just one piece. Then I would say maybe they'll they'll go into the luxury tax. So this actually sets up a question I want to get to before I get your final grades just on this. Uh, all of this. So how much do you think ownership has played in not making the major improvements? So whether it's not dipping into the luxury tax or, you know, are they, you know, forcing Acme to sort of keep the the core intact? Do you think this is more of an ownership issue, I guess I'm asking, than it is an Acme issue or is it both? And I'll start with you, Ross, and then we'll go to Drew. Well, I know what people are going to start saying if I defend AKME that I have a bias, which is true. Um, I, I, but I will say, you know, the the things that were an issue under Garpax have not really been solved, right? The the feeling of of being cheap, the feeling of lack of foresight, the feeling of you know poor scouting, poor development, like those things have fundamentally not changed. Um, so I think, you know, they say you walk around all day and you're smelling crap, look under your own shoe. That's how I feel the Reinsdorfs need to approach. I mean, they're never going to, but I feel like Michael and Jerry, if they really wanted to take, you know, a, a new approach, 
uh, to the basketball operations side of things, they would want to remove themselves entirely from the decision-making processes because clearly uh, when you get money involved, when you get family politics involved, when you get, you know, you're hiring your buddies, that kind of stuff involved, which we've seen, you know, Jerry do with the White Sox, like that kind of stuff is is not conducive to a, a long-term winning culture. And it all trickles down, right? It, it starts at the top and it trickles down. So when you see those games where there's just no energy in the team, when you see those those games where it looks like they just don't care, I think that they just don't care because there are people in that building that just don't care. I think I'm going to go the other direction. I, I put this more on Acme than I do the Reinsdorfs. And I think at one point in time, I, I might have been um, leaning the other way. But from what we've heard from Casey Johnson and Joe Cowley, this is a mess of Acme's own doing. They're the ones that sent out these draft picks. They're the ones that put the pedal to the metal maybe too fast in building this roster in the, in the way that they did. So I don't put that – that's not the Reinsdorf's decisions. From what we've heard, the Reinsdorf's has given them free reign to do what it is they want to do to build this team in the manner that, it, that they want. So, you know, maybe I'll get some tomatoes hurled my way here in the coming days when this is released, but I think that Acme – is by and large the ones to look at when it comes to the position that this team is in right now. Now, if you want to look historically, that's a different story. But if we're just focusing on these past, you know, few seasons, I think the two guys are Eversley and Connor Sovis. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you guys for letter grades. And in this episode, it's a little different because you're really looking at two different periods of time. So I'm going to actually have you guys split this up. I want to get a, a letter grade from each of you on the moves made in 2021. Then I want you to grade the move to continuity. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure most people kind of know where that grade might go. But you have the benefit of hindsight now. And with that, I want to get those grades. So I'm going to start with you, Drew. And then we'll go to, to Ross to, to wrap it up. So again, letter grade for the flurry of activity in 2021. And then... Grading continuity in 2022 and beyond. So for the uh, the initial moves they made that we, we saw them make, I have to give them probably a B. Nice influx of talent. I think we saw what the vision was. But I think they're probably overpaid for definitely Vooch. Um, DeMar, I think there's more of an argument because of just what he did those first two seasons for the Bulls. If you're just kind of honing on honing in on him specifically without looking at the team um, as a whole. In terms of where they've gone since then, man, I hate to give a failing grade, man, but I think I might have to just because, again, we kind of saw where things were going. When you saw Lonzo Ball's knee or the prognosis for his knee continued to kind of roll downhill, knowing that he was kind of the saving grace, along with Alice Caruso and DeMar DeRozan. I think you just had to kind of get off of this team and be able to, you know, take your own medicine and realize that that initial vision you had just is not going to work out as well as it maybe could have if things stay the course and, and guys stayed healthy, you got to be able to just say, okay, this isn't going to work. 
we got to go a different direction for the health of this franchise. Um, and for, you know, maybe even our own jobs, <laughs> depending on where this thing goes, even though we haven't heard anything about them being in any type of hot seat situation, but I'll probably go a B and an F, man. Oh, yeah. It's tough because at the time, I was really happy um, back when those moves were made. And obviously, knowing what we know now, um, it's hard for me to to give a positive grade to something that has brought me so much negativity um, in our in our fandom. But yeah, you know, I think back then I'm going to go with B plus for the 2021 free agency class because that felt like such a great flurry of moves. It wasn't only putting, you know, some good players on the team, but it was putting the Chicago Bulls name back on the map because we hadn't been in the playoffs for years. We had been kind of a laughing stock. Um, it finally felt like, okay, take us seriously. We have some guys now. We're, we're here to make some noise. Um, now, with that said, it's not an A or an A+, plus because uh, to Drew's point, you know, they were trading picks. They were trading players. Um, you know, we still owe a pick for DeMar all this time later. Like, we just got done paying up on Vooch and look at all those great players that they drafted. So, yeah, I mean, even at the time, we knew that that was a lot to give up to get those guys. Um, but you know, continuity, right? So when you double down on something that you've already established doesn't work, um, I I don't know what other grade to give you. So I won't give them an F. I'll give them a D minus only because it's not their fault that Lonzo got hurt, I guess. Like, that's the only thing that I could be like, that part isn't your fault, but you still didn't make any moves after that to make up for the absence of him. So... You know, having that, we can call it a cap hold for all intents and purposes, like having a cap hold of like $20 million is a handicap. You know, that's something that they had to deal with and, and maneuver around. So a D minus for, for having the handicap, but overall, not good. Well, it'll be interesting to see what kind of happens next. You know, it, there's a lot of rumblings about movement coming down the pipeline and I guess we'll get to see, like, how do Acme handle a rebuild? Because we haven't really seen that yet. We only saw them evaluate a current rebuild and kind of springboard to, you know, some type of playoff contention early or playing contention early. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, from here on out. Uh, before I wrap up, I wanted to make sure you guys get a chance to let people know where they can find you. So, Ross, let's start with you. Uh, where can people find your work? Where can they follow you? And then uh, we'll go to you, Drew. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, at Shy Sports Ross on all the platforms. And make sure to check out Switch Theory. I've been working with those guys, helping out with their social media. And I also built the website. So fun stuff going on over at Switch Theory. Yeah, you can find me at Look What Drew Did on all social media platforms. Um, I'm with The Bigs, and our tagline is It's The Bigs, but... Um, Hoping to work on a piece about Kobe White and his uh, basketball trainer. Dribble too much here in, you know, another week or so. So be on the lookout for that. Um, other than that, man, you can catch me tweeting unhealthily about this Bulls team <laughs> on, a, on a pretty much daily basis. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining me for this discussion uh, on this episode of Analyzing Acme. As always, you can listen to more episodes of the Rebuildable podcast through any 
of your streaming services, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you stream your podcasts, you'll be able to find the Rebuildable Podcast and all these additional episodes of Analyzing Acme. You can also, of course, follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rebuild underscore A underscore Bowl. You can follow me at mgentil 88 so you get all my latest thoughts on the Bulls and maybe some other Chicago sports, too, if you're interested. We'll be back soon with more episodes. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.